I'm very excited for the message that we have today. Um, God's been working uh, this in me for a couple weeks, and I've been struggling with it, you know, going back and forth. What should I talk about? What, how should I approach this? How should I do it? Because it's a difficult message. It's not an easy one to hear for us. So I wanted to start, I just wanted to take a second to pray and just invite the Holy Spirit into the sanctuary and into our hearts. So will you bow your heads with me? Father, first off, we start and we say we thank you and we love you. We thank you for how you bless and how you take care of us, how you provide for us. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit fall in this room, in this place. God, will you speak to the hearts? Will you speak to the minds of all of us that are here watching online? God, I pray for any deception that that is gone in the name of Jesus. I pray that today your truth reign. God, that your glory you be the main purpose for what we're doing today. And, and ultimately, God, in everything that we do, that you are set first. Lord, we love you and we worship you in your name. Amen. Amen. So we've been talking about spiritual warfare and tactics, SWAT, right? Talking about the armor of God, this beautiful armor. It's like 40 pounds. It's great. I love it. It's, it's awesome. We talk about the armor of God, and I've been talking about it with uh, the youth as well on Sundays when we meet back in the Bay. Uh, so this last Sunday, we, uh, me and Amanda gave them an activity where, okay, guys, you've learned about the armor of God a little bit, so I want you to create your own armor of God based off the supplies that we give you. So if they could show a picture up here, they created their own armor of God, um, yeah, with uh, green solo cups and traffic cones. Oh, she has a Frisbee on her head too. Don't look, but she's sitting down front row, so uh, don't, don't, don't judge too hard. And then he's got something on. And you could also see he's got scissors at the end of his sword. I didn't see that. They had scissors to cut the tape. And then when I looked, I looked, he, he had actually taped the scissors to the sword and it thought that it made him, um, the sword of the spirit was really sharp. It was, it was very sharp. Um, but yeah, they, they did the, uh, the armor of God and I'll give them credit. We did not give them the best supplies. We did not give them glamorous supplies. We gave them traffic cones and cups and Frisbees. So they did a great job. They, and they had everything represented too. So they, they did a fantastic job. They did. They had, uh, you know, they had the breastplate of righteousness on in what they, they did. They had the belt of truth. You can't really see it. Some of them, they have the belt of truth. They have the sword of the spirit. They have the shoes of peace. They have the helmet of salvation. Uh, they have the shield of faith. They have all the elements represented um, in the armor of God. So I was very proud of them for, for doing that. But we talked about why. Why is it that we put on this armor of God? It's very cinematic armor, right? I mean, like I said, like gorgeous set of armor right here, but it's very, you know, almost like in a movie, like, oh, that's armor. You know, I go watch a war movie with armor. So what does it mean when we talk about the armor of God? What does it mean when we put on the armor of God every morning? Because I can assure you, it doesn't mean you have to walk around at your job and at school or wherever you're going dressed like this. I can assure you it's different than that. What does it mean, the armor of God? What is the significance of the armor of God? If you'll take out your notes, we're going to need those today. And on the front page of your notes, we're going to read in Ephesians chapter 6. It says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the uh, the breastplate of righteousness in place." 
See, we put the armor of God on so that we can stand firm against the attacks and the tactics of the enemy. For our struggle, as Pastor Randy was saying a second ago, our struggle is not against each other. It's not against flesh and blood. You see, we see problems and we see flesh and blood, but we have to understand that our struggle is so much more. It it is beyond what we can see. It's against the rulers and powers of this dark world and, and the evil forces in the heavenly realms. And it's necessary to put on that armor if we are to fight that fight, if we are to stand against the enemy. You cannot go into war, you cannot go into battle without armor or you are, you are vulnerable. If you were to join the army, the equipment, the, the armor that they would give you, they wouldn't say, hey, this is optional. If you'd like to just run out there in t-shirt and jeans and that's fine too. No, they say, this is, this is mandatory, you need this. Today, we're going to focus on another piece uh, of the armor of God. We're going to focus on the breastplate of righteousness. So this bad boy right here. I find that this is one of the harder pieces of the armor of God to understand. You know, growing up, I could tell, and a lot of us, I think, could tell, we could tell what the other pieces of the armor were, right? The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Salvation, we know what salvation is. Faith, peace, truth. We, we, we understand what those terms mean. But righteousness, this is something that, that, that's harder to grasp, to understand. What is righteousness? What I'm here to tell you today that the breastplate of righteousness, while it might be hard to understand, is one of the most crucial things for us. I would even go beyond to say that the breastplate of righteousness is what defines who we are as we sit here today. It's who we are. We are righteous. Some of us might question that though. Righteous? If you look on the inside of your notes, point one, we are righteous? We're righteous? Well, if this righteousness is what defines who we are, then what is righteousness? What's the definition of righteousness? Righteousness simply means being or doing what is right. You see, righteousness is who you are. Do we understand that? Do we truly grasp that? It's not what can be done. It's it's not us if we do a bunch of good things. That's not what righteousness is. It's not that if we do a bunch of good things and we're considered a good person and people like us and we're agreeable, then we are righteous. That is righteousness. And it's not who we should be. It's not like we're trying to reach and attain this, right? It's not like, oh, I need to do, you know, uh, I need to get there. This is the point I need to get. This is the end goal in the race that I'm running. This is who we are once we accept Christ into our lives. This is us. You see, the blood of Jesus, it washes over. The sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, his blood washes over us and makes us clean, new, Pure. Us by ourselves, we got a lot of messed up things. Can I get an amen? We got a lot of messed up things. I'll give it a big amen. We couldn't do it alone. But Jesus' sacrifice cleanses us and makes us right. It makes us righteous. 
Because of what Jesus did on the cross, God made a way for us to be cleansed and to be purified. For our mess to cover our mess, to wash away the bad, to wash away the, the icky stuff in our life. To be in right standing with God. And, and this is a side note, really, but, and it's super important, and I, it's worth mentioning, it's super important that we talk about the breastplate of righteousness right after we talked about the, the belt of truth. Pastor Randy preached on that last Sunday. You see, you put on the belt of truth before you put on the breastplate of righteousness because there cannot be that righteousness without the truth. There cannot be the action of righteousness without the truth. You see, the truth is, is the standard the truth is what is right and what is wrong. In today's society, we want to make the truth relative, right? We all have our own truths. There's a million different truths based off what you think and what you feel. But no, the belt of truth says, as Pastor Randy said last week, that there is one truth found in Scripture. Jesus is the truth. And we have to put that on because in righteousness, right, the doing and the being, we are righteousness, but we also do righteous things. In an attempt to do what is right, we need to know what the truth is because the truth tells us what is right. You know, I would even go to argue like our world is messed up and so chaotic and dark because so many people have, have fudged the numbers on what the truth is that in an act to do what is right, they're not doing what is right because there's not been a set truth for what is right. No one's following that set truth. Truth is the standard and righteousness is who we are. And when we realize that we are righteous, when we wear that breastplate of righteousness, we then live differently according to what the truth is, to what the standard is. What the truth says is right. So, today I, will, I had an interesting choice in preaching attire. Um, and I knew it would cause a little bit of controversy with some of us. Not everyone, right? Seahawks jersey, I know Carmen, the Ramily, they're upset, Elijah's booing. Yeah, I got a whole row of people booing me. Right, I, I knew, I knew what I was, I knew what I was doing, okay? People are so passionate about sports jerseys, and I don't blame them. I have an Angels jersey. If you wear a Dodgers jersey, you're probably going to get a boo, too. So, like, I get it, all right? I'm not, I'm not condemning that. But I did know that if I wore a football jersey that wasn't the Raiders or the Rams, that I would, I, I would get, like, like, some side eyes, you know, like, mm, I don't know. But I, I wore a jersey to preach today. Because jerseys are, are very significant. If you follow sports, very significant. They got the name on the back. They have colors, right? These are the colors that you represent. These are your team colors. Wearing a, a, a team's or a person's jersey gives you a sense of belonging to that team. Like it's Ramily, right? So you're like part of the Rams family. Like you belong to the Rams. You, you're a family. You belong to that team. Whether it's your favorite team, or maybe it's a team that you play on, right? When you wear that jersey, it's showing everyone else who you are. What team you identify with. You're saying, look, this is me. As a kid, I played Little League, and I tell you what, games on Saturdays, church on Sunday, every Sunday I wore my jersey to, to church, every Sunday. Now, it smelled because I was a catcher, so I sweat the whole time, and it's just a gross jersey. I didn't wash it, so it smelled. No one really cared. It was like, dude, does, you know, like, does this, this kid have any other piece of clothing to wear? But I didn't care. I was going to wear that jersey every Sunday because that's who I was. I was part of that team. 
I was proud of it. No one else on my sports team came to the church. No one at church I don't think really cared that much, but I cared because it was who I was. I was showing everyone, this is my team. I play baseball. I'm a 12-year-old. I play Little League. Yeah, wow. <laughs> you say, this is me. This is my team. There's, there's a comparison that can be drawn between a jersey and the breastplate of righteousness. You see, when you look at the breastplate of righteousness, you see it covers the shoulders, right? The chest, the midsection, covers the back. And you look at a jersey, the shoulders, the chest, the midsection, the back. Similar amount of coverage as a shirt or a jersey the breastplate of righteousness has. And kind of like a jersey, the breastplate of righteousness defines who we are. That's why it's so significant. That's why I said earlier it's, it's one of the most critical things that we have to do and we have to know about. Because we are righteous. It is, the, it is the single most significant thing that defines us all here as we sit today. There is nothing that has happened, there is nothing that will happen that defines you more than this breastplate of righteousness. When Jesus sacrificed his life for us, he did it. He won and he declared us all to be made righteous. And there is no amount of good things, good thoughts, good motives, nice attitudes, friendliness, that is going to, that is going to, to, to earn that besides Jesus' sacrifice. There is no set of requirements that we have to meet in order to qualify for righteousness. We have been qualified by Jesus because on our own, we couldn't meet it. When you, you give your life to Christ and you say, Jesus, you are going to be the Lord of my life. I believe you are the Son of God. I accept you as the Lord of my life. I surrender to you and I express it to you. When you do that, you are made righteous by the sacrifice of Jesus. It's it. That's it. That's who we are. There's no more complexity to it. That's it. We are righteous, you are righteous, I am righteous, as we sit here today. But what, if that's who we are, then why is it it's so hard for us to see it? If that's who we are, then why doesn't it feel like it? A couple weeks ago, we had Pasquale here, and, and he spoke, and he said a lot of great and powerful, powerful things over our church. One of the things that... Um, I got, and I think the staff got as well, was the power that we had. We were reminded of the power that we had to declare things over our lives, over our family, over our church. The power that our voice had to declare. How we overlook the power that we have to declare in our lives. The, the power that what we say has in our lives. And so often, because we overlook it, we use that power to declare bad things, to declare negative things over ourselves and our lives and our families. You know, we say, I'm not attractive enough. I'm not good enough. I don't have the skills. I'm going to fail. This is going to fail. I'm going to fail. I, I always fail. I always mess it up. I'm going to mess this thing up. I'm not worthy enough. I don't deserve it. I'm not talented enough. I'm not gifted enough. I just don't have the gifts. I'm not smart enough. I'm not sharp enough. I'm not friendly enough. I'm not, I'm not social enough. I, I'm not good at talking to people or being with people. I'm not special apart. I'm, ordin I'm not special. I I'm ordinary. There's nothing significant about me. 
So many of us look at ourselves every single morning and with that power to declare things over our lives, we declare negative, bad things over ourselves repeatedly day after day after day. We are around ourselves more than any other person in this world. Yet we can't even see the truth of who we are. And we allow Satan to deceive us. We are deceived. We see, we see bad, we see negative. And we're tricked. We don't see who we really are. How many of us have even declared over ourselves that we are righteous? Ever in our lives? Declared our true identity. If God says this is who you are, we're not even saying that over ourselves. There's such an identity crisis going on in America with everyone trying to find their identity and changing the lines of what your identity is. No, your identity, when you give your life to Christ, is righteous. Being and doing what is right. But instead, we spend our whole lives telling us all the unrighteous things about ourselves. We tell ourselves day after day how we're not righteous. This is such a powerful and significant point. Before we move on, we, we can't really move on until we actually really get this. The power we have to declare things over ourselves. So I want you to just pause for a second. If you could just put your notes down. If you have anything else in your lap, just put it down. We're going to take a second, for some of you maybe the first time, to declare the truth about who we are over ourselves. Not over each other, but, but just over ourselves. Now, before we do that, a little note about what declaration is. A declaration is not, I'm righteous, cool, like we good. A declaration is not passive. A declaration is not casual. It's not nonchalant. When you declare something, you declare it. You say it loud with power and authority, the authority that we have been given. So if you guys can join me, I know I'm a youth pastor, so this is kind of a youth thing. If you could join me and stand up. I know it's like, hey, this is main service, JD, chill, bro. We, we just sit and look at the notes and watch the, the screen, and then we go. But I want to take a second to, to vocally declare over ourselves that we are righteous. Now, I know this doesn't seem very tough or manly, or it seems a little bit awkward, and I don't want to stick out and be, but I'm serious, guys. We are going to declare, you're going to say it after me, I'll, I'll tell you when, but we're going to declare that I am righteous, and you're going to say it over yourself, all right? So repeat it after me. I am righteous. I am righteous. I am righteous. Perfect. You could sit. Father, I pray that this identity, this way that you see us, that you cement this within our heart here today. Let this stick. The truth of who we are, let it stick with us. Not easily forgotten. Father, I pray that whenever we see ourselves in the mirror, we are reminded of our true identity. We are reminded of the way that you see us. And that when we see ourselves in the mirror, we can declare over ourselves daily that I am righteous, that we are righteous. And Father, I pray that the lies of the enemy, the deception that every day is going to try and tell us that we're not, is going to try and trick us into thinking that we're not. God, I pray against that in the name of Jesus. Lord, you have won, you have the victory, and any attempts of the enemy to put a veil of deception, of lies, to cover our eyes from seeing the truth, God, I pray that undone.
In the name of Jesus. You've already won, Lord. We praise you for how you've made us. We praise you for the way that you see us, even when we don't see it in ourselves. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. You see, in what Jesus did, we are declared righteous. I hope that you get that. I've said it so many times. We are declared righteous. But our actions, our actions have to fall in line with that. That is who we are, righteous. But that is also what we do. Like I said earlier, righteousness simply means the um, being and the doing of what is right. As I said at the beginning. Being righteous is who we are and there's nothing that can, we can do to earn it and there's nothing that could take that away from us. But at the same time, because we are righteous, what we do is righteous. Because we are righteous, what we do is righteous. When we accept Jesus, when we accept him as the Lord of our life, you know, again, we believe, admit, surrender, express. We're saying, you know, Jesus, you, I'm going to let you be the Lord of my life. You are going to call the shots. You're in charge, not me. I'm going to live my life to follow what you have for me to do. How many of us could say that God is going to call shots for our lives that are much different than we would call ourselves? So our lives are going to look much different when we accept Jesus as the Lord of our life. Because he's calling shots that we wouldn't normally call. So our actions, our output is going to be different. Because Jesus is going to call us, call our actions to resemble what the truth is. He's going to call us to right action. Point number two, if you look across the page, it says, take it off. It's provocative, I know. Take it off. That's what I'm here to do, add a little bit of edge, right? The righteousness that we receive begins to change us. And when it changes us, we begin to shed off all of the old things that we did. And we begin to pick up new things. In Zechariah 3, we see Joshua come before the Lord in unrighteousness, or as the scripture says, dirty clothes. Zechariah chapter 3, 1 through 5, it should be in your notes. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I've taken away your sin and I will put fine garments on you. Then I said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. When we accept Jesus as the Lord of our lives, we take off our filthy old clothes, the old garments, and we get the fine garments. Now, Pastor Randy set me up really well last week to make this point um, with something that he showed. Yeah. So, so he set me up really well to drive this point in. This is terrible. This is horrendous. I mean, last week after Pastor Randy showed this, 
I had so many eyes and people like, 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 okay, are you really? And we were at the baptisms and everyone's kind of looking at me like, bro, you don't know how to dress, dude. Like you got to fix that and get you in touch with someone. Except for Steve Rainier. He was the only one that told me that it looked good and he would wear it himself. So, so that, there we go. But everyone else, it was terrible. Some terrible, mix-matched, filthy clothes. You see, when we, when we are saved, when, when we accept Jesus as the Lord of our life, we take these mix-matched, these filthy, these weird, oh, it's unraveling, we take these clothes off. Not that we actually take off the clothes, right? Not that we actually start to take off, you know, our, our jackets or whatever, but we take off the, the things that they represent. We take off our old clothes, which is our sins, we take off our past. We take off our desires, our desires for evil and bad things. We take off our harmful habits. We literally take them off of us. We, put, we give them away. The things that take us out of acting in righteousness, right, the bad, the unrighteous things, we take them off and we put them away. And we put on, once our hands are free and we have given that away, we put on the righteousness of Christ. We put on our jersey. We put on our breastplate of righteousness. You see, we are no longer defined by these old things. These don't define us anymore. This isn't who we are. God wants to say to you today that that is not who you are. Our actions show that we are a new creation. We act different. We take off those old clothes and we act different. We don't go back to the same old, same old. We put that off and we are changed. And again, it's not our actions that make us righteous. It's not that the fact that we do good things that makes us righteous. We already talked about how righteousness is something that we can't earn and we can't lose. It's our actions that show that we are changed. It is the proof of the new identity. It is the proof of the change that is going on inside of us. Our actions have to back up the position of righteousness that Jesus placed us in when he died on the cross. It's not optional. Our actions have to back up the righteousness. Luke chapter 6 verse 43 says, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. In our position, where we are at, we are declared righteous. Jesus has done that for us. But our lives are to be a resemblance of that righteousness. But this is, this is the, the tricky part. Because this is the point in which the enemy, Satan, tries to come in and deceive us. On the back of your notes, point three. Satan wants to keep you from getting this. That's true. Satan doesn't want us to have that exchange. Satan wants me to wear the burger and fry shirt and the weird tie-dye mix-match thing. He wants us to stay down, stay submissive to him, keep us from the Lord, holding on, clutching on to our old clothes, to our old sins, to our bad habits, to our desires. But let's look at this from the perspective of truth. Let's put on the belt of truth real quick. The truth is that there is nothing that Satan or anyone else can do to take away our righteousness. Jesus won the war, the spiritual warfare going on around us, 
in the heavenly realms has been won already. It's been sealed. It's been done. There's nothing that can happen to take that away. That's the truth. Satan wants to distract and deceive us, though, so to break off our relationship with God. He knows, he knows that he can't, he can't make us unrighteous. He can't take the righteousness away from us. God's won. He knows he lost. So what does he have to do? Well, if I can't take away how God sees them, and I can't take away how they're identified, what if I distract them or get them to, to believe something that is not true? What if I get them to act in unrighteousness and then put a wedge in between them and God? Because now, instead of them looking at God in the face and doing what God wants for them, I'm going to turn them to where they're looking off to the right, doing whatever they want to do. Caught up in their own mess, caught up in their own gunk, in their own sin, caught up in their own mistakes. So he tries to break our fellowship, your fellowship with God, by causing a breach between your position, your standing of righteousness that Jesus put us in, and your practice of righteousness, and the doing of righteous works, of good works. You see, and when we choose to rely on our own, uh, our, our senses, right, at deciding factors in addressing life's choices, so when we choose to rely on our own feelings, our own understanding, Maybe it's a job offer, maybe it's a big move, maybe it's in how we respond to people, maybe it's in how we act when we're not around church people or we're not around the pastors. When we choose to rely on our feelings, when our feelings steer the ship, we set ourselves up as easy, easy, easy targets for the enemy. Because we take it out. We have the battle, the warfare going on around us, right? Not against flesh and blood, but against spirits and principalities. That's where the war is. We're like, hey, God, the war's up here. You already won, but I'm going to take the war down here to where I can't win it on my own. And then Satan has us trying to remedy our problems, has us trying to fight the war on our own. We're not wearing the armor of God. We're going out there in T-shirt and jeans trying to attack, be like, oh, we're going to do it, we're going to do it. And we're going to lose, He gets us trying to solve our problems and our sins and our, and, and our mistakes with human remedies. Trying to solve problems that can only be cured with a spiritual solution. He can deceive us into relying on our own understanding to solve problems. And when we do that, we take the war out of God's hand. Our God who has already won. And we take it into our own hands. We're deceived in trying to fix something we can't fix, and we get stuck in the cycle of repeating ourselves, of trying to do righteous works, but not relying on God, so we fall back to unrighteous works. And then trying to do right things, not relying on God, and then doing unrighteous things, unright things. And then back and forth, and this is cycle that repeats of sin and bad and ickiness, and it leaves us, after the end of the cycle, as we're spinning round and round, all of a sudden we look up, and there's a wedge between us and God, and we can't even see or experience God, because we're looking the other way, trying to figure out how to solve our problems. As the worship team comes, Satan also likes to keep us unaware of our own sin. You see, he knows that we can't confess and repent from things that we don't even recognize. What does the truth say? It says that our God is a God that forgives he will take our sin from us and he will nail it to the cross when we come up to him and we have a repentant heart. 
that he will forgive us. He forgives those with a repentant heart, that Jesus died for those with a repentant heart to forgive their sins. Satan doesn't want us to do that. He wants to weigh us down with our sin and keep us distracted and our vision distorted. See, he even tries to trick us into thinking that sin isn't even a sin, that unrighteous acts are not even bad. Because if he can do that, if we don't even think that it's sin, if we don't even think that it's wrong what we're doing, then we're not going to have a truly repentant heart. We're probably not even going to repent for it at all because we don't think it's wrong. You repent for sin, so if we don't think it's a sin, we're not going to repent for it. We get these ideas, right? Well, this isn't a sin. This isn't that bad. We don't even use the word sin because sin makes it too, too sticky for us. We just say, well, this isn't that bad of a thing to do. We explain it away. We explain this sin away in our mind, and we are deceived. You know, it's really, I could be doing worse things, you know. I could be doing worse things. I could be, you know, robbing and stealing and and killing people. I'm not doing that, so that's not that bad. Honestly, really, I don't really watch that much porn. It's just a little bit. So it's like, I could be doing worse. I could be having premarital sex, which is a no-no. So it's not that bad. You know, no one really saw me do it. I wasn't around anyone when it happened, so it's not that big of a deal that it happened. You know, the person, when I berated that person and I yelled at them and I was demeaning and rude, that they deserved it. I was doing them a favor. It's okay that I did that. It's fine. They were asking for it. Satan likes, us, likes to keep us unaware of our own sin. He tricks us into thinking that our filthy clothes aren't really that bad. And when we're tricked and deceived that way, we're not going to take them off because we don't think they're that bad. We don't need to take them off. So we're not going to take off our filthy clothes, which means we can't put on the righteousness. So we keep the breastplate of righteousness locked away and we're held back. We're held down. We're in captivity that we have placed ourselves in, thinking that our sin isn't even sin, but we don't know why everything's so wrong in our life. We don't know why we can't really have that good connection with God, why we don't feel him like we used to or like everyone else does. We're locking ourselves in these heavy, heavy chains, and we're wrapping them tight. Instead of the belt of truth around our waist, we got chains. We allow Satan to play around with our minds, convincing us of what is not true, what is not the truth. Because when we do confess sin, confess what is wrong and unrighteous in us, God removes the stain and the stench of sin from us. Sit there for a second. The stain and stench of the sin from us. Sin has a stain and a stench. And when we confess our sin, God takes that away from us. And we are made new. We are clothed in white. We are pure, and we can have that fellowship with God. You are righteous. We are righteous. We are all righteous. And because of our righteousness, our actions will be different. Our lives will be different. Our output, our living will be different. Because righteousness is who we are, but righteousness is also what we do. But Satan wants to keep us in our sin. 
keeping us away from acting in righteousness, keeping us away from doing righteousness because he can't keep us away from being righteousness, so he's got to keep us away from doing righteousness. Keeping our actions different than who we really are. And therefore driving a wedge in our relationship with God, a wedge distancing us from our creator the one who has already won. Keeping us from even putting on the breastplate of righteousness that defines who we are. But here is the beautiful part. Satan doesn't have any power over us. God has already won. That's right, amen. Satan does not have any power over us. God has already won. The battle has been won. The victory is ours. There is no need to struggle by ourselves trying to figure things out, trying to make our actions right. God wants to lead you. God wants to be there for you to make your actions right, to, to, to back up your position of righteousness with the actions of righteousness. When we go about our lives, God wants you to act in righteousness, resembling who you are. That is why church is not a Sunday thing, it's an all-week thing. Because the righteousness doesn't stop on Sundays. The righteousness is every day, every second. So when we get up out of bed in the morning, we have to put on the breastplate of righteousness. We have to be in that position of righteousness so that when we go throughout our day, we act in righteousness. That our actions fall in line with that righteousness. Because that is what the Lord desires for us. So I want you to look on the back of your sermon notes. There's a, there's a sticky note, a white sticky note. We all have things in our lives, we all do, that Satan is trying to use, that is, that is driving a wedge between us and God. We have things in our life that are unrighteous, that are not right. We have sins, we have things that we do, maybe it's thoughts, maybe it's motives that we have. It could be pride, could be lust, it could be anger, could be revenge, vengefulness. We have things in our life that are separating us from God that Satan is trying to use to chain you down. And for some of us, we have some pretty heavy chains that have been wrapped around a lot of times that we're not sure if we can get out of these chains. We're not sure if we can stop these things. What I want you to do is they're gonna sing the first verse of the song and while they're singing, I want you to sit. I'm going to pray before we do this. But, but while, while they're singing, I want you to sit. And on that sticky note, I want you to write, what is the thing that has got you chained down? What is that chain that has been wrapped around you for years and years and years and has been constantly, consistently driving that wedge between us and God? So God, I pray that you reveal what is it that you want us to change? What is it that we need to fix in our lives? God, bring a spirit of revelation into our lives that we can see the truth, get rid of the deception, God. And while we sit, will you speak to us and speak to us clearly? So in a second, they're going to start to sing the rest of the song. And when they do that, I, not, just right when they do that, I want you to stand. I want you to take this thing that has been driving the wedge between you and God for so long. I want you to take this, this unright act, this, this unrighteousness that you have that has, been, that has been different than your position of righteousness that Jesus has already declared you as. And I want you to come up here in a second and you're gonna pin it and stick it to the cross. Not gently tape it to the cross, not, not, not leisurely place it, but we're gonna stick it and stick the nail through it. 
The same nails that stuck through Jesus' arms and Jesus' legs, right? We're going to stick it through this unrighteousness and pin it to the cross and leave it to Jesus. And then after that, there are some things in our life, and we all have them, that have us just so tightly wrapped in chains. We're talking about insecurity. We're talking about things that have happened in our past. We're talking about a, a drug addiction. We're talking about other addictions in our life that just have us wrapped up and wrapped up and wrapped up. And every time we've tried to get out, we've pushed and maybe we've gotten one of the chains off, but they're still there. And if that's you, and I know that that is some of us in this room, then I want you to do is when you pin it on the cross, don't leave the altar. Don't leave this place. Do not leave this place until it is gone. You leave it at the foot of the cross, and if that's you, that, that it's so tight around, I want you to step to the side, and we're going to have people come and pray with you to break that chain in your life. Guys, serious, don't leave this altar without change. Don't leave this altar without leaving your, your sin, your unrighteousness up at the cross. Don't, don't take this opportunity for granted because God wants to come here and meet with you. He wants to take that sin. He wants to take it off of you. He wants you to stop relying on yourself and start relying on him who has already won the battle. Stop acting in defeat as if we've lost the battle, but start acting from a place of victory, knowing that we have won.